0: Welcome to the Leaders' Table podcast, where policy leaders share the inside stories of their impact on the world, and we capture the secrets behind their success to help you increase yours.
1: Education, diversity, and equity, core American issues. What, what are the things that I should be pushing for to inspire a movement. Lunch, it bigger. How did you get there? Was there a moment that made it real? I want to find a bigger vision.
0: I'm your producer, Molly Stevens, and here on the Leaders Table podcast, it's our job to dissect leaders in policy and education to dig into the practices, tools, tips, and actionable strategies of their success to empower you. So I'm having a moment here. This is our 20th episode, so let me just take a minute, soak it all in. Okay, so for this milestone episode, we're really excited to share The Leader's Table with CEO of New Day, New Year, and former superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, John Daisy, who really exemplifies a leader who's calm under pressure. If you listen to other episodes of The Leader's Table, you know that we love advice, and this episode is packed full with the good stuff. So how can you apply John's lessons learned to cultivate balance in your leadership? First, John advises that you share space with people who are courageous, bold, and who have similar values and views on equity. And second, this may seem contradictory, but it's not, deliberately place yourself in situations with people who don't agree with you and be unafraid to learn and be challenged. Keep listening for more great advice, and also please bear with us through some audio issues on this recording. The content is just too good, so we wanted to share it with you anyway. We're getting to the end of season one of the Leader's Table podcast, so tune in for our last few interviews and keep listening for special summer edition episodes. As always, we'd love your ideas and your asks for season two since we're uh, brainstorming now. Email us anytime at table at org. And now here's John Daisy at the Leader's Table.
1: John Deasy, thank you so much for joining the Leaders' Table podcast. How are you today?
2: I'm great. My pleasure to join.
1: Well, it's such a pleasure to to talk with someone uh, like you with such experience in leading education systems. I can't wait to talk with you a little bit about what you're doing today to end the school-to-prison pipeline. But just for, for background for... Uh, for our listeners, uh, you began your career as an assistant principal and a dean of students. Uh, you've also served as a superintendent or deputy superintendent for the Santa Monica Malibu Unified School District, uh, the Prince George's County Public Schools in Maryland, and of course the Los Angeles Unified School District. Correct. So today you are the CEO of your own uh, your new nonprofit called New Day New Year. Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: This is an organization that for the next uh, decade or so of my life um, uh, is going to be dedicated uh, really around the issue of uh, criminal justice um, and justice reform for young people, 12 to 24, and it is to create uh, and establish a set of alternative juvenile correctional facilities Uh, that can be proof points where recidivism can be cut by more than 50% from its current levels to where all young people will graduate from the facilities um, resilient and employed on track for graduation or already enrolled in uh, post-secondary substance-free and working in California and initially in Alameda County and Los Angeles County and then hopefully moving to Oklahoma and New York City um, it is really an organization that's designed to think very differently about correctional practices um, and the correctional issues um, so that they can be about really true justice and consequence and redemption um, and that is what we're doing at the moment and it's actually going amazingly well um, and it's moving very quickly
1: it's wonderful to hear. What what do you think is out? What do you think that schools could be doing better or differently in addition to the things that you just talked about to, to end the the school to prison pipeline? If you were to name like the the top two or three issues that you just wish every school superintendent would take up around the country, what are, what are those?
2: So I think many are really focusing on this, and it's just being more and more courageous and bold around the issues, um, and they're usually issues of access and equity um, and building agency in young people and their voice and their parents. So being really mindful about what classes young people are in, who is teaching those, and are they of high rigor and the expectations uh, for our young people uh, about having access to the most rigorous courses. Um, Really taking a look at correction and consequential practices for misbehavior. And are they not contributing to increased criminalization? Uh, Obviously. Um, Really being mindful, are there alternatives to out-of-school suspension from preschool, God forbid, all the way to uh, high school? Uh, And who is subject to those consequences I think is really important also. I think the last piece is, is sometimes often the most difficult, and that is, thinking very deeply about the investments you make, that I make, that I made, um, and where money goes, and is money actually going uh, to lift uh, young people and to give them opportunities, um, or is it really perpetuating a structure where only the privileged have those opportunities? That's what I think through.
1: It's interesting. There's a Yale study that I'm sure you're very familiar with that came out um, not that long ago, looking at the practices of preschool teachers um, and the differential in the treatment of different preschoolers by race, uh, essentially um, tying the school-to-prison pipeline to an even earlier start date than, than I think any of us would want to admit. Do you, how do you, though, as a school leader, as a systems leader, um, set in place any real system for, uh, for pointing out that differential for, for getting teachers and school leaders to think differently or even just to be aware of of the way that, that practices differentiate by race or by class?
2: I think there's a couple of pieces to answer that question. I think one is I think most people are aware that this feels terrible and makes it all very, very uncomfortable. Um, and I think in, by and large most people, uh, teachers, are wanting – solutions, um, which leads me to the question and the point of investment in um, school districts being able to handle adverse childhood experiences. A lot, so much of that carries out into the classroom. Um, we are the last intact social institution pretty much in this country. A great deal is placed on our shoulders. Uh, we can't do everything. but. Um, I don't really know very many people who support the expulsion of a four-year-old, um, five, six, seven. I could go on,
1: and yet um, it happens.
2: But it happens, and I think it happens. You know, by and large, there aren't alternative supports, and so uh, I think that's one piece of it. Uh, really uh, investing in that so that teachers can have options, and administrators can have options. Um, I think the second thing is to be really public about the data. Uh, and that is, sending a student home from public education on the public dollar uh, is not something, uh, not a data point that is private. It's public, just like the system. And monthly, really digging into who is being put out of the system at our own will, and why, and what are we doing about that. Um, and I think a third piece is when. And if those types of consequences are necessary, and I hope that they're uh, rare, um, what does reentry look like? And how do we not, uh, how do we carefully help not seeing a repeat of that type of behavior? Those three things usually can be most helpful.
1: Sure. I can uh, tell you from my own life and um, and from friends that we, Throughout growing up, I you know, went to the New York City public schools. I grew up in New York City. We're very um, conscious of sending people to jail, but we hardly ever think about what happens to folks on the way out. And I've, I've yeah. seen a personal...
2: It's so important to link those two.
1: Yeah. I have personal examples in my own life of... of people who were offered a different path and truly uh, uh, changed their life, truly uh, dedicated the rest of their lives to being productive, being fully integrated members of society. And it was all about choices.
2: I hear that so exactly and so frequently from young people who are currently um, incarcerated, uh, want to do well, want so much to do better, and really look to the system for help, meaning the public school system around that, uh, and really want more demanded of them. Uh, so if we want less and less misbehavior or mischievous behavior in the classroom, then we want more and more engaged rigorous instruction, uh, which means that we have to be disposed to believing that young people can handle it um, when we, I see amazing teachers. Uh, both scaffolding good instruction and making it as rigorous and as meaningful as one would see in, post
1: honored classes. Absolutely. You know, we interviewed Ryan Smith, the executive director of the Education Trust West, for this co- podcast, and he talked about the the confluence of the awareness that the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black, li- Black Minds Matter movement have brought to these issues facing education, juvenile justice, um, and changing the way that the systems um, serve students of color. I wonder. It, it makes me want to ask uh, about how you're thinking about the role of this youth-driven movement uh, in other communities around the country, other other advocates, um, and how they play into your vision for for New Day, New Year. Um, how you'll you'll think to engage so, those folks, and 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 how how do we create an ecosystem for change more broadly?
2: Your question um, speaks directly to uh, a compelling issue that we have to undertake, and that is we have many uh, individuals and organizations trying to do similar and important work um, and raising these issues. And if we and I can participate in any way in helping create a collective, I think that's going to be very, very powerful. You know, twenty four or five years ago, Uh, A collective began around, you know, school and education reform. A great deal occurred from that, uh, and a lot of opportunities came to bear that we hadn't seen before. Uh, That's almost exactly what we need at the moment um, around uh, criminal justice uh, reform, so that true justice and true consequences are uh, effective uh, dealing with um, serious missteps um, and um, are geared towards not repeating that and giving folks opportunities so that their only avenue isn't uh, recidivism. Um, so I think that's one piece to this. Um, I think the other part is, it's, I think personally for me, it's okay to be challenged by thought and to be deeply challenged by assertions that come from other sectors. And as a white man, and a white man of invisible privilege, listening pretty deeply to the messages um, from Black Lives and Black Mind Matter, and squaring up with what I have either unconsciously been complicit in, um, and how do I grow myself around that, that discomfort is incredibly important. Um, because I think it will lead to quite the trust and growth um, in the work that we're doing. Um, and then lastly, um, I, I think the the policy frameworks and the policy world um, are a little bit in flux at the moment. So we're moving into ESSA. We're trying to understand what it means when pretty much the locus of energy and uh, center of gravity, if you will, shift to state. Uh, how does that happen so that we don't get 50 to now, again, different versions of, quote, good and rigor, uh, but we are very much customized to conditions that uh, do look differently and aren't nationally universal. I think that's going to be a very important uh, time in the next couple of years around that
1: yeah we would hope so as well. Um, I do want to dig in a little bit on on your thoughts on around essa around the s s a and what it means for the states and whether you are um, what you're optimistic about and what um what scares you or worries you about the the state's imp- implementation of the new law yeah
2: so i'm optimistic about a number of issues I, I, Let me just start there one is i'm optimistic um that, by and large, funding, while we always need more, uh, remains steady and committed. Um, I'm optimistic that, by and large, we are uh, still remaining accountable to our lowest-performing schools and what we need and must do about that, and youth who are still not uh, seeing the success we want and and our obligation to do something about them. I think that's very optimistic. Um, Optimistic that... There is, uh, at the moment, a paper attempt that will hopefully translate to an actual set of actions in the very near future, but on paper, attempts at a more balanced accountability uh, system, um, so to speak. Um, So that's a careful pendulum as it moves back and forth. Um, I'll go to my worries in a moment, but at the moment, I think that is uh, something to be optimistic about. Um, And then lastly... Um, I'm optimistic uh, that uh, voices um, continue um, to be heard, and I mean those of our teaching force, and those of our administrative force, and those of our youth. Uh, that that both representational and direct voice, <coughs> excuse me, is is and continues to be a very strong piece of that. So those things give me great optimism. Um, I think that uh, a movement towards State center of gravity, it is both optimistic and worrisome. It's optimistic to me because it uh, acknowledges that there are differences. There are differences in the Intermountain West to the Gulf Coast. And I could go on and give you a whole host of other ones. Um, and I think that uh, ability to recognize that and customize that is will serve you as well. I worry about states uh, at the moment. And I worry about that because if we think about the last eight. eight 10 years, by and large, not everywhere, but by and large, uh, we went through very difficult economic times. Uh, The federal offices became the center of gravity, and the confluence of both of those resulted, I think, in a real loss of talent at state levels, a real loss of capacity at state levels. Um, States, understandably, uh, really shed uh, dollars at the state level in order to help keep as much going to the local level. And now all of this work returns, which just needs high capacity and high talent, and I don't think we're prepared uh, to do that as quickly um, or to find the talent as quickly, and I think that's very concerning. Um, hmm. I think there continues to be uh, wildly uh, disparate views on accountability, uh, and as we move to a more balanced center around this issue, I do worry a lot that we will um, move to a system that will go back to hiding uh, groups of youth uh, that are not doing as well, not making that as explicit, or not making that growth of those young people uh, very public and explicit. Um, and I think that would be the, a major setback uh, to an equity agenda in this country. Those uh, so would be, I think, some of the wonderful five-year points.
1: Absolutely. It sounds to me like um, like you still believe that uh, that data is a civil rights tool.
2: I believe that data is a tool. Um,
1: or a tool for equity.
2: Period. Um, and as a toolkit around that, uh, I think we've been able to advance uh, civil rights issues quicker when we pay attention uh, to data. Just like um, I just pointed out. And if we're going to pay less attention or, in my opinion, most unfortunately, a policy directed less attention, I think that would be quite bad.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'd like to spend a few minutes. Uh, I want to talk about different aspects of your career and kind of pull out some of the things that have helped you to prepare for leadership and, and, and to drive change. Um, so first, thinking about how you – I'm wondering if you always thought that you would be a superintendent and uh, – And if the answer is yes, how did you get there?
2: The answer was no. Um, I always thought I would be a teacher and a principal. Um, I loved being a principal. I thought it was one of the most amazing jobs I've ever had. Um, It's a lonely job, but a completely amazing job. And I I think that's where I thought, so I really prepared myself, I think, to be a principal. Um, When I became the superintendent, for the first time, what I saw was two, two things which kept me doing it. One was the scale of impact in the lives of young people and the ability to really um, affect um, outcomes for all groups of students. And that kept me doing that. Very difficult work. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin to tell you how difficult it is. Um, in terms of doing that work. But the upside of any of the struggle of that work, he has a huge impact on the lives of young people. And that kind of contribution uh, is is very satisfying.
1: How does a how does one though prepare for leadership in a huge system like in LA or like a PG County and actually use that Power that authority that opportunity to, to drive change. My understanding is that uh, that systems don't change easily, and they they never uh, simply follow the direction of a of a superintendent.
2: I think yes, excuse me. Those two statements are true. Um, so I think uh, for me. I, uh, that preparation has been a, uh, a multiple parts. One part is you got to know yourself. You have to know yourself very well. Um, you have to know the leader you are. You have to know what you believe in. You have to understand your value set. You have to understand um, what uh, equity means for you. And I think you have to understand um, the risk calculus that you intend to exert to help lead. Uh, outcomes. Where in many cases, no matter what you do, there's almost nothing you do. Where uh, either some people are pleased about that, or some people are very displeased about that. Uh, criticism is rampant. Some of it helpful, most of it not. Um, and you've got to be able to be really centered uh, in your work and your belief system. So I think that is one that develops over time, kind of knowing you are and how you act and what you believe in and and, um, how you're you're going to behave um, around that. Um, And I think consistency is really important. If you say uh, one thing uh, versus another versus another versus another in all different portions of your community, it's going to be very authentic very, very quickly.
1: How do you cultivate that centeredness? I mean, that that sounds to me like like mindfulness in some way. What well, what are the things that you would do uh, to to keep yourself there, or to, to remain centered, or pursue centeredness? Um,
2: yeah, um, actually, some of those are, are very deliberate. Um, one is um, uh, be uh, around people who are courageous and who are bold, and who hold similar value sets. That's very important. And while this seems contradictory, it's really not, and that is deliberately place yourself in situations with people who don't agree with you, and specifically place yourself in situations where people are demanding more of you than you feel you can give. Um, Let yourself wear the burden of um, institutional racism, Uh, long-standing disservice uh, uh, bias um, let yourself sit um, with those uh, and understand the impact for those and understand uh, the pain of that I think it's really important Um, I think you listen to youth voice first uh, you listen to parent guardian community you listen to your employees um, and it is not so you will make the right vote, so to speak, so you want to deal with the majority. What you want to do is understand all of the impacts and all of the intended and hopefully not many of the unintended consequences of decisions when you go to make those. Um, I, I think there are other pieces that are good at doing this stuff, and that is keep a journal, um, reflect, read um, a great deal, read stuff you. Stuff. read uh, articles and read commentary and read research uh, that you agree with and that you disagree with, um, it keeps you balanced. Uh, I think those are parts of the way
1: that you do that. It's interesting that not every leader wants to challenge themselves or, or want to be challenged by external forces. Certainly, um, we can all choose to live in a space where we surround ourselves by ideas that we agree with. Um, it's a much more challenging path to, to do the opposite
2: there anyway. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> you can ignore it, um, you can suffer through it, or you can embrace it and make it part of your own growth I uh, try to choose the last of those. Yeah.
1: So as you seek to build out a New Day, New Year, what are the leadership lessons that you are bringing to that endeavor to grow a team and to, to build the idea to scale across the country?
2: Uh, first and foremost, just being really explicit about police systems and value systems before we all work um, with the probably the most imperiled population. Um, you cannot be confused about our values um, as we do that. And second, just realizing this work is incredibly hot. I don't know many people who wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to actually work on prison reform. Right, and, right. So <laughs> um, we're really developing skill sets for this state. Um, and uh, being able to understand that almost every single solitary thing you do has some form of impact, in, and building up those local impact is critically important. Um, it's building the trust of kind of three constituents, uh, DAs who have a role, uh, judges who have a role, advocates who have a role, um, and you have to see yourself as the base of all three of those, uh, so that you can do good uh, and be good for our young people um, and particularly our, our, our young men um, be um, unafraid um, to learn and to be challenged but that's one of the uh, pieces that we're doing um, and realize that uh, again not everyone's going agree with everything that you do or propose to do and I often say, and the space is big enough for lots of different ways of doing this. I'm doing, there's no one way, uh, but I think there's a universal goal, and that is we want less people in prison in this country, since we happen to be the country on the planet with the highest percentage of its population incarcerated, and we want less people revisiting prison, um, and we want them to have... Healthy, productive outcomes in the participating members' society. So, I—that's the way we're thinking of it right now.
1: Absolutely. How would you do some of that work in empowering um, empowering communities to be their own voices? I think, particularly about you know a John D. C. leading a movement for um, for reform or for for justice, but also making sure that John D. C. is a an empowering. Um, force for African American and Latino ab- uh, advocates themselves to also lead the movement. How how would you do that?
2: See, see, um, I think uh, the way we approach that is to realize that we are in service to long-term uh, community stability, growth, and prosperity, and long-term individuals' rights and productivity. We aren't the answer. We are a vehicle towards, you know, a better place. And that place is almost always embedded in community. And communities of family, communities of friends, uh, communities of geography uh, is where in the end um, this work gets sustained and will be successful for other people or won't be. And so your point is, I think, spot on, and that is it is about being in service of empowerment. Um, there's economic empowerment, there's self-efficacy empowerment, uh, there's voice and actualization empowerment. It's not just a simple word, obviously. And what that means when it sits inside of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if there are large numbers of young people who can't get a job because of the of felony conviction or who don't have uh, meaningful pathways to legitimate sustained employment and stable housing and stable food and health care, uh, that's not going to be solved by the best uh, programs inside an institution. Right. It's going to be solved by having a person come out um, ready to access those, which means this is as much about working with communities as it is working, quote, inside the system. And that requires Absolute. partnership. And those Absolute. partnerships are a, a, a kind of a web of support, things like the anti-recidivism coalition, things like the ability for um, uh, the city and, and uh, county and and community-wide transportation so that people can maintain employment and maintain themselves in, in post-secondary education. Um, Healthcare obviously, is, is a huge piece. We do a segment of service, but we rely on building a web of support. That's how we're thinking about it.
1: Absolutely. John, if you could give um, advice to your 22-year-old self, what would you advise you?
2: <laughs> I'm laughing. Um, put a little bit more space between each of my children uh, when they're born. That would have been one piece of advice. advice. College bills are deadly. Um, uh, be a more present dad when those young people are born being thousands of kids in the system is good if it's done at the uh, at the um, at the opportunity of not being as present a dad that's not so good Uh, that is definitely a piece of advice I think um, career advice would be um, don't be afraid to learn I don't be afraid to say you don't know what you don't know. Uh, It's tremendous uh, relationship building and letting another teach you something. Um, And uh, just be really fearless and courageous for those who are just so deserved. I I think that would be the piece of advice.
1: And what does the first, let's say, three hours of your day look like? Walk, Walk me through from waking up in the morning
2: still about the same as it always has been. It gets very, very, very early. Um, At what time? I, about 3.30. I do some athletic uh, piece. Sometimes it's running, uh, uh, sometimes it's biking. Uh, Maintains it, it as much health as I possibly can. Uh, then it, it, uh, it's a reading and writing period of time. That's a little bit different than uh, before. That's been a real opportunity um, in my new work. Then it's communications, and then it's starting really calls because um, this is a, a nationwide effort. So people are wide awake on the East Coast, uh, even though we're allegedly asleep on the West Coast. Um.
1: <laughs> Everyone but you. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> and then and National Public Radio—they're always up. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then I think it's then it's, it's getting about the work. Um, the evenings are really still around visitation and community and individual. Um, particularly in the new space um, that's, that's a great opportunity um, yeah, my children you know I'm very blessed they're very healthy they're grown so this has been a, a uniquely beautiful time about spending more time with uh, my amazing wife and so that's been uh, a nice part of our evening and then it's um, closing by um, writing and emailing and usually sleep by 11
1: wow. and is there a, a piece of technology or a practice or technique that you that you use to keep it all together that you just could not live without?
2: Um, it could be an
1: app or a program. Or...
2: I don't know the answer to that. Um, I never thought about that. I, I, I don't I, I use something. Uh, probably not. probably using a whole host of items. Um, but uh, I mean, I think... I think, you know, smart mobile device is pretty critical. Um, I do and always have tried to model um, near instantaneous response and being responsive, so that has been hugely helpful.
1: And do you, uh, do you chunk? E- so that's interesting. Near instantaneous response is, uh, is kind of the opposite of, of what the productivity gurus talk about, uh, where they say, well, you should chunk email and, and you know, Pick one time per hour, every two hours, where we reply to all of your emails. Have you have you just found that instantaneous response is the the better way to get your agenda done when you're paying yeah. attention to email? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, if there's going to be an opportunity, an immediate opportunity uh, to really consider, uh, for example, the admission of uh, a new young person into New Day New Year from current prison, I'm not going to wait around to chunk that. Um, is an opportunity for a piece of facility or to meet with someone who wants to invest in New Day, New Year. I'm not going to actually bucket that. Um, and then I think there's just the uh, courtesy of being as responsive as possible. Even if it means I can get to this late this afternoon, uh, I just, if the person had enough energy to communicate, then I have always said I need the same energy to respond.
1: Yeah, remarkable. It's also remarkable to know that you start your day at 3.30 a.m. It is kind of like you give yourself uh, double the amount of hours in the day, which I, I think is just magical.
2: Um, yes, it can be uh, not always appreciated on the family front, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you so much. I so enjoyed this and really appreciate you joining the Leaders Table podcast. We hope that we can uh, have yeah. some more conversations with you.
2: So, I thought you were going to ask me one more question. I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask it myself so I can respond. Sure. To it. Sure. And what would I say to young people who are considering um, the superintendent? I would say do it as fast as you can. We need diverse, uh, new, uh, and growing leadership in this field desperately. Um, don't wait. Um, you will always get wise if you're open to learning, uh, but we really need folks. Um, and so, I think those who are hesitant, I would hope the message would be less hesitancy, um, and just move
1: on it. Absolutely. Any recommendations for, uh, for um, good resources, guidance, pathways into that leadership?
2: Uh, uh, number one, by far and away, uh, find an amazing leader and ask that person to be your mentor and ask the shadow. Um, I mean, real, honest-to-goodness. Uh, no whole thought shadowing, like the entire day, a couple of days, really understanding what leaders do uh, is the greatest gift an experienced leader can give an aspiring leader, and is the, I think it will be the greatest learning an aspiring leader can get from an experienced leader. And the rest, uh, honestly, is uh, good programs, knowledge, reading, but nothing
1: compared to the first. Excellent. John, thank you so much for for this, for your insights, for your wisdom and for your generosity of time and uh and insights. Yeah, we pleasure. just really appreciate great to talk it. With you. Absolutely, great to talk with you. Yep,
2: take care.
0: Like this interview? Follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can also visit www.educationalequity.org/leaders table for more resources to grow your impact. Tweet us your questions for future interviews at Lee underscore national. Thanks so much. Your host at the leaders table is Jason Urens. I am your producer, Molly Stevens, and thanks to John Stevens for our music and editing.